Welcome to the Elster Business Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Michael Nee, head of ANL Goodbody's Belfast office, about our Top 100 Companies edition, businesses making that list, and the results how the law firm is performing, and what's in store for our economy in 2023. Michael Neagle, welcome to the Ulster Business Podcast. Thanks, John. Michael, uh, you know, first of all, you know, we'll turn to the top 100 quite soon. Um, but just kicking things off with, with how things are in the market at the moment, you know, in terms of, of the... Um, I suppose it's one of the most interesting periods, you know, I've seen as uh, as my time as editor in, in terms of the economy and even uh, our own top 100. Um, just in terms of the, the corporate and M&A market at the moment, there seems to be a suggestion anecdotally that it remains um, very active despite some of the doom and gloom that's kind of being, uh, you know, is, is around at the moment. What, what, what are you seeing at the moment in terms of your own business? Yeah, we found exactly that. I mean, I like to many businesses in 2001, 2021, John, um, transactional activity was nearly at, a, at an all-time decade high. Probably a lot of liquidity um, during the pandemic has helped. Um, and then into 2022, that has continued surprisingly, uh, given what we're hearing and the alarm bells that are sounding off. Um, for us, probably the volumes in 2023 in transactional are akin to what they were in 2022. Sorry, in 2022 is similar to 2021. What what will happen in 2023? I don't know. Um, there could be a couple of reasons for that. Still, some liquidity in the system. Clearly, deposits. And if you listen to the banks, the deposits are at all time highs within the bank. Um, Post pandemic, buyer type. John, broad range, uh, still strong interest from international buyers and trade buyers, but but positively quite a noticeable increase we are finding in private equity backed buyers and bidders on transactions uh, in Northern Ireland. And whilst we've seen that across the island over the last few years, um, it's suggesting that there is continued investment by both domestic and international PE funds. That That's quite positive. On the sector side, um, that is actually quite sector agnostic. So whilst we're seeing technology, energy, manufacturing and agri-food attracting strong interest, um, it really is a very broad range and it's much more now to do with just the quality of the business rather than a specific sector. And it's, you know, it's interesting that perspective, you know, there's been a few big names announced in the last, you know, even maybe the last 18 to, month to two years, you know, new investors to to the market here, certainly in commercial property. I know, you know, for example, Rushmere is a, is a new investor into Northern Ireland. Um, uh, that deal, I think, is, is in the process of completing at the moment. So there are obviously new companies here seeing Northern Ireland as a, as a market that's still buoyant. I think so. I mean, even though there are headwinds there and it's quite a significant amount of um, uncertainty out there, John, you know, for the right asset, for the right business, there is interest. And in terms of 2023, whilst one might have thought that the transactional activity would drop off, I mean, if you read the press, that's what people seem to think. If you go to New York, that's what they will say. But what you actually might see in Northern Ireland is that instead of moving from a seller's market, because, you know, 2021 and 2022, seller multiples have been very, very strong. 
we, we might actually move to a buyer's market. But within a buyer's market, it's still quite transactionally, you know, strong. Now, Michael, you know, we've partnered with NL, Gibbity on the, the Ulster Business Top 100 for, I think, seven years now. And, and in that time, each year has brought, I suppose, a different insight or another insight into the performance of our, our biggest and, and best firms here. Um, now, interestingly, you know, this year, you know, and, and the accounts this year largely cover at least part of, of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Uh, and pre-tax profits are up 46%. Um, sales are up 2.6. I think 46% is the most I've I've experienced, certainly as my time as, uh, as editor of the magazine. Um, so, you know, some firms are obviously seeing sales going up as costs and input costs increase, you know, so that they're, yeah. those figures are going to go up naturally. But what's your take, I suppose, on that strong performance among firms here, especially in terms of the profits? The 46% number is actually really stark, I found. And I was going to ask you today, was that the greatest increase you had seen during your time of covering um, the top 100? I suspect it was. Yeah, definitely in my time. And I, I would say even among, I mean, most most increments most years would tend to be between, I think, 4 and 9%. Um, and that really sort of depended. And that would kind of maybe go in line with the general performance in the economy, you know? So, yeah, that's, that's significantly more. I, I remember having to get... <laughs> check the figures with Jonathan our, uh, Cushley, our analyst and stuff and making sure it was definitely 46% and doing the maths because it just it just sounded so uh, so much bigger than um, that we'd normally expect. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, about incredibly impressive performance. There were two other I th- two other areas I, I felt were stand out, John, to the reader. The first one was um, the comment that only eight of the 100 companies suffered a, a loss, reported a loss. So that means that 92 reported Profit, obviously, and quite significant profit, given what we just talked about, the margin there. Um, and the second thing is, and again, sometimes these stats kind of sort of hit you between the eyes, that between the top 100, they employ 100,000 people. And just pausing there, an average of 1,000 um, employees per organization. And, you know, you then start to realize why that um, top 100 is so significant in IPLC, just given this sheer level of employment. Every year you do sort of get an insight. There are some years it doesn't change, you know, substantially. And a lot of those companies that are on the list have remained on the company's list for a long, long, long time. And yeah. you kind of have to go back to sort of pre-recession, you know, times to see a few um, formerly familiar names that are no longer yeah. um, in existence that would have been near the top. But I suppose alongside that, you know, you've got my park, obviously, have been there and been at the top for a long time. Um, Barnett has another, been our Barnett, another good performance this year. Um, Henderson, I think, are in the cracking almost the billion pound mark at the yeah, moment yeah. as well. Um, but you also obviously have those firms which were, I suppose, once SMEs and are now, you know, listed companies. Uh, there's a tier three, I think, on there, and they're within, usually within the tech sector as well, um, which are performing, you know, exceptionally well. But again, you know, con- construction firms and manufacturers, but construction's another one. There's there's a good handful of construction firms on there. Tier three, I think, maybe weren't on the list just a few years ago. So. You know, there is a there's st- there still is a wide breadth of companies, and you can see obviously at the end of the day, you know, agri business and manufacturing and and meat processing and food, you know, still remains a huge part of of our of our economy. Um, but there are other companies there that are creeping in from sort of you know more emerging sectors. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, a couple that stood out to me, interesting. I thought, I thought it was a you know, seventy five and seventy seven of your list, um, Decora and um, block blinds, both of which have seen have been really quite active in the market. Um, and we've seen that at close quarters in our business over 2021 and actually even prior to that. And, and again, 
um, the emergence of the tech sector. Um, obviously, we have you know Kanos in there who are doing very well. Um, but in terms of what the future might look like in Northern Ireland, um, one can see fintech, health tech, and, and other areas of innovation really coming to the fore. And we're seeing the emergence of that now, both within your list and within our business. But I think the trend will continue. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, as you mentioned there, you know, um, you know, Decora was was one that was on the list for the first time, I think. And they maybe not. No, they were on last year, actually. Sorry. Um, but they crept up quite quickly. But um, Block Blinds were the overall company, Fjords Limited. Um, you yeah. Know, they have uh, that company. Um, I was speaking to uh, Cormac for the edition, you know, and they're. Their business has just sort of expanded. Now they had a bit of a bump, I suppose, from a lot of the work they were doing with COVID, and they were involved in the um, the production of, of visors um, alongside other producers. Yeah, um, I think Hiramaki. Um, but but as part of that business, you know, I suppose what would have been in my head a business that sold blinds, yeah, um, that's now expanded into sort of a business, almost you know, selling into the states and and GB and the production of the blinds is you know the the actual background to it as opposed to just producing blinds online or whatever and selling them you know that business has you know developed considerably since i mean i think their turnover went from about 13 or 14 million to over 100 um you know in the space of of, of one accounting period so it's it's impressive that there's companies like that doing things that maybe maybe not quite as uh, as apparent as maybe some of the others that maybe would shout louder about it or that have you know bigger figures on the page and that's the thing probably with the pandemic and with the recession that we're facing into, there are often periods which act as a catalyst for change and diversification within business. And those are the good sides that come out of really difficult periods, as you just mentioned. But but we will we we have seen that during the pandemic. And I suspect we will see it, you know, during the next couple of years as, as well as companies diversify and look at different things. I mean, you know, Kinos is another one. I, you know, I would speak to Brendan usually a couple of times a year. Brendan Mooney, the the chief, yep. and you know, they have. I mean, they, I suppose if you, certain companies are in a position where they are in the best position, as in they're doing something which is either unaffected by COVID or directly affected positively. You know, they were doing a lot of the rollouts for some of the tech for the NHS and the government, the UK government's grand plans for you know gradual digitization of of much of the infrastructure, and they are. They're at the heart of that, so they are, they are in the position at the moment where they they probably couldn't have a better business model in that respect. You know, there why there's a lot of companies you know that have had to adapt, as you say, during COVID to, to markets which is you know which are more buoyant. Whereas their their direct um, market during COVID may have been impacted directly. Yes, no, understand, understand. My gosh, which is generally speaking, you know, we're seeing mortgage rates rising as as inflation creeps up. Um, you know, which I suppose often an indication of of the overall market performance and how the economy is operating. Um, what do you see generally happening next year, just in, in terms of, of your own, you know, what you're feeling on the ground yourself and, and just in, in general? I mean, obviously, we are officially in recession. Um, and I think we've sort of talked about us being in recession until sort of the, the start of 2024 at the, at the earliest. But it's, I mean, it's obviously very hard to predict the, the ups or downs in terms of percentages. But just generally, what's your sense of, of what 2023 would be like for the economy in Northern Ireland in general? Um, difficult. Um... It's been a tough few years, actually, just to, just in advance of this podcast. I was just thinking back to the chronology of, of the various events we've all had to deal with and why we're at the spot that we're at at the moment. And when you think back, John, six years ago, it was the referendum, the Brexit referendum in, in 2016. But just in two years, we UK left the EU on the 31st of January 2020. Within two months, we were in a pandemic. 
for the next two years, we continued in the pandemic and came out of it roughly at the start of this year. Within a month, you're then got a war in, the, in Ukraine. And then you get to the end of the year and we're in recession and facing into a cost of living crisis and double digit inflation. That's two year period. I've never in my lifetime and career, and I suspect this, I speak for many others, seen a period of such rapid and pervasive change. But, but turning to the here and now, obviously we know that when you put that amount of liquidity into the system, it obviously has a, a knock-on effect. And we're seeing that now in, given the inflationary pressure. And we now move for, from a, a really difficult period to, to an uncertain economic climate. I mean, again, putting it into perspective, we move from extreme tax um, decreases to extreme tax increases in the space of just seven weeks. And all of that uncertainty doesn't help. But yes, the clients are saying, you know, we're we're thinking the next couple of years are going to be very, very difficult. Um, It's good timing, I think, the podcast, because I said, John, to represent Northern Ireland on the UK Council for R3. So R3 is the industry organization for, for reorganization and rescue professionals. Um, and its job is to represent the industry and its members, but obviously to, to liaise and lobby government to ensure that we have systems and procedures in place which allow companies to and individuals to efficiently deal with financial distress. But on that call yesterday, it was just fascinating just to hear what was going on in the ground in GB and contrasting that with Northern Ireland. So to give you some sort of perspective on that, liquidations, which is a final insolvency process um, in Great Britain are now at their highest levels since records began. 400% rise compared to this time last year in Great Britain. Um, but in Northern Ireland, we're at the lowest in a decade. And you've got to ask yourself why there is that contrast. And the answer is probably twofold. Firstly, because um, we are, are the pandemic restrictions on corporate insolvencies in relation to the courts have not yet been fully lifted in Northern Ireland, and they have been lifted in Great Britain, and that's partially to do with there being no executive. But what those statistics tell you and what the contrast between Great Britain and Northern Ireland tells you is that once the restrictions are lifted, we're going to sim- you know, similarly experience quite a quite an uplift in insolvencies in Northern Ireland, unfortunately. In reality, the pandemic-related support measures basically paused financial distress for many businesses, but, the, but it won't prevent them. Um, sectorally, in Great Britain, you're seeing construction, hospitality, and retail, John, at the top of the list. Um, you've probably heard of the high-profile insolvencies of Made.com, Jules, those standalone retailers coming under pressure. And actually, it's, you know, it's also quite interesting to see the share price pressure on the online retailers, which floated during the pandemic. Um, that's a signal that, you know, that there is pressure going on within those type of businesses. I think in 2023 and 2024, um, the prospect is that there are going to be, there's going to be significant financial distress. The one difference, John, I'd say between this recession and the recession we all lived through in, 20, in 2009 is this. Firstly, it's 
probably largely going to affect SME and individuals and less so large corporates who not all, but some of them back then had a property overhang. And the second point is the banks are much more stable and structurally sound compared to 2009 because the regulators have ensured that they've learned from the lessons of the past. And then thirdly, in 2009, I very much recall, John, that um, insolvencies were to a degree bank-led. You know, bank enforcement was quite common. The banks were proactive in that regard. But I think this time the banks will be more passive and reactive um, and, and actually leave it to, say, the directors of the businesses to make the, the correct calls. And it's interesting, I suppose, from that perspective as well, it, it's a different form of recession, you know, which partly is a lot of it's largely out of the, the individual business's hands, certainly with COVID. You know, I think that was the issue. I mean, I was speaking to someone, I was speaking to um, James Neal. Um, yeah on behalf of R3, and he was saying, you know, that the idea of, of there was a lot of goodwill in the system as well, where, you know, landlords or other companies didn't want to bring enforcement, you know, against companies, because this is not, in many cases, certainly with COVID and certain businesses, hospitality in particular, it wasn't their fault, you know, it wasn't per business management, it was just the, the circumstances, um, I suppose, that had emerged around them. Um, and, you know, I... The other, you know, the other thing is, I suppose, he talked about, about a bit about the lag in, you know, Northern Ireland being, you know, at the back of the pack. There's a bit of a sort of three to six month delay in how how we react to these things. So, you know, I, I suppose, aside from our own situation here, our unique situation, I suppose that that's, that's probably something playing its own part in in us seeing the, the effects after, say, you know, the big cities like uh, like London. I think so. And there are those issues such as, you know, the restrictions that were there during the pandemic being lifted in Great Britain and not being lifted yet in Northern Ireland because of a number of reasons, the, the, the executive not functioning being one of them. But but in, in our world, there are typically three significant groups of creditors to be concerned about. Uh, and we're seeing this play out in, in Great Britain. So firstly, there are landlords. Um, and in, land, in Great Britain, the landlords can take um, those steps because the restrictions have been lifted. Not so in Northern Ireland yet. Secondly, you have HMRC. And anecdotally, on that call yesterday, we were hearing in, in, in Great Britain that one of the reasons for this spike, the 400% increase in liquidations, was HMRC activity. Um, some of that was actually put down to HMRC being better resourced or put it a slightly different way during the pandemic the resources were moved to other areas in HMRC to support businesses and now some of that money needs to be collected and of course the third area is banks so those those three groupings HMRC landlords and banks are typically the creditors that might take the type of enforcement action um, debtors are worried about but in Northern Ireland, because of the restrictions um, and because of the banks being a little bit more passive and reactive this time around, it just may be quite a lag before um, we're seeing the statistics really ramp up significantly. But I think, unfortunately, I have to say they will at some point. And, and I mean, you know, I, I was, you mentioned a few of the sort of, you know, economic and, and structural and societal barriers we've had to face recently. You know, I've been a 
I've never been a, again, obviously companies have, have gone through all sorts of issues. The troubles here, I suppose, was a big issue for businesses over the years uh, in general. But, you know, I've, I've been a business journalist through non, non-normal times, if there's such a thing. You know, the post-recession, uh, the build-up to the vote for Brexit, the vote for Brexit, um, you know, the protocol leaving COVID, the war in Ukraine, you know, there's been, there was a, a brief period of sort of post-recession where things were sort of normal. <laughs> And then things have kind of gone straight into sort of another challenge. Um, in terms of, you know, I remember being, I was at the Telegraph at the time, and, you know, the the, the number of, of sort of uh, administrations, creditors, petitions, and that kind of thing, and companies being folded, you know, Gazette was was packed with them. Is Are you are you expecting that kind of deluge again, you know, where, where you're just constantly just opening the paper and seeing, you know, 20 different notices of companies being wound up? No, we're not. Um, not. Nowhere near to the same extent. We uh, experienced it in 2009 onwards and all sorts of reasons. Um, as I said, banks much more structurally sound, um, probably not leading, leading out the uh, insolvency processes as they did in part in 2009. Um, we think it's uh, more, on the, unfortunately, in the SME side and, and individuals where the financial distress will be experienced. Um, it's a it's a very different type of recession, and then obviously you have much more flexibility and options as a restructuring professional to save a business. The earlier you're spoken to, than to have to handle the sort of um, burial of a business. And um, what we've seen is that because the enforcement system was more or less switched off, whether at court side or at bank side, during the pandemic for all sorts of good reasons and when you don't have those options you find creative ways to find solutions and what actually happened was that creditors and debtors would try and find a solution with some pragmatism without necessarily resorting to issuing demands and going to court Um, and hopefully that pragmatism continues you were talking about there, sorry, John, you were talking about there, it just struck me, you know, when you were saying about just the, the things that we have experienced, as I, as I said earlier, you know, that chronology of two years is quite extraordinary for any of us lived lived through in our lifetime. But yet Northern Ireland business, as it always has, has remained really resilient. And it often begs the question in my mind, what could we do in this small scalable economy with some degree of uh, and longevity of economic and political certainty. I mean, it does beg the question what we're capable of doing, given what we're able to do with all of this uncertainty. Well, that's the thing, you know, if we were in a position where we had a stable government, obviously that's first and foremost. I don't think anyone and well, largely everyone in the business community is on the same page in that. Um, and, you know, once we do come out of whatever this current economic turmoil is, um, yeah, as you say, I mean, you know, we've obviously lost quite a few big companies over the years, a few very big names um, that were part and parcel of, of the top 100 list and a few international companies that have, have pulled the plug. But, you know, by and large, if you look at that, uh, the, the top 100 is a good snapshot for the companies that are doing well or represent a, a bit of a, you know, a good cross section of, of our wider economy. And, you know, many of those companies have been on the list for, for decades. Yeah, I agree. And they're performing in an economy which has quite growing contrasts with um, the Republic of Ireland. I mean, two that jump out are 
I was, you know, was struck to see that U- UK economy is projected to shrink by one to one point five percent in twenty twenty three, and the stat there is to contract more than any country within the G seven. But then compare that, compare and contrast that to the Irish economy, which is in twenty twenty two GDP growth of about seven percent, and it's the best performing country in the eurozone. Yeah, I mean, it's that disparity as well is, is obviously an issue, um, you know, for companies here are sort of looking at which, I suppose, which of their markets or which of their, where, where are they going to invest as well? You know, if you're looking from, from the outside as an FDI, do you, which, which of those markets do you do you want to put your money into? I agree. And, and you know, you've in the, in the mix of all of that is the contrast in the headline corporation tax rates. So business in, uh, business in the dock currently headline rate at 12.5%, but at Newry it's 25% from April 2023. I mean, it's kind of crazy, those contrasts on one island. And the protocol, as you know, and many have talked about it, there is an opportunity there, clearly, to secure some form of competitive advantage if the political will is there to, to seize that opportunity. And Michael, finally, just um, ANL, um, what's, what's ahead for, for ANL in 2023? Um, in in 2023, I suspect we we are a firm that was well hedged in terms of we, we do very well in the counter cyclical areas as well, John. And we obviously those tend to be um, disputes, uh, restructuring and insolvency, employment, banking. Those are the areas that tend to be very busy uh, in a recessionary climate, and also they stimulate transactional activity it might well be distressed transactional activity but actually our view into next year is that it will be busy on both sides it will be busy on the sort of recessionary type work but it will also be busy on the transactional side too because there are many many good businesses in northern ireland a bit beyond 2023 there are areas which we have our eye on obviously esg regulation Clearly, we have, like many, an eye on how the protocol might resolve. You know, I, I was interested to read that apparently Rishi assured Biden that it would be resolved before the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. And if that's to be believed, it looks about April 2023. So the landing zone for the protocol will be really significant if it arises next year, John. Um Funny, I was reading your, I can't remember if it was this edition or the edition that you just published, um, Michael Bale, I felt made a really good point in relation to the protocol. So he is he chairman of the Northern Ireland Food and Drink Industry, executive director. And his point was, I can recall, he said uh, that if hypothetically Brexit raised 100 problems in relation to cross-border trade, the protocol had resolved 75 of them. Uh, and what he was really saying is 25% is, you know, an area that one would be able to find some sort of solution to mitigate those impacts. And of course, you never go, it's never going to be perfect. Um, so his view on it was that once the protocol would resolve the vast majority of issues, there was definitely a landing zone and a platform that could be ironed out to, to give a winning competitive advantage for Northern Ireland business. Okay, Michael, thanks very much for your time. Okay, John, thanks. You can listen to all the episodes of the Ulster Business Podcast at ulsterbusiness.com, Spotify, Apple, and SoundCloud.
Thank you.